My name is Amy Conacher. I'm the Executive Director of the Australian American Chamber of Commerce, and I'm glad that you can join us this afternoon. We're really excited about our program and think it's going to be really informative and you'll gain a lot of insight um, during Christina and Lauren's conversation. So welcome today. Um, so what I'd like to do is hand over to our moderator for today, Christina Stabe. Christina is the AACC president, and she is the one who organized our discussion today. And I want to thank her as a volunteer for the chamber for all the work that she puts in. Um, it really is through volunteers that our chamber is able to operate. So we appreciate your help, Christina. Christina is also the senior client engagement lead for the Global Carbon Capture and Storage Institute based in Houston. And this is a, a topic right up her alley that she enjoys. So over to you, Christina. Great, thanks, Amy. <clears throat> really appreciate that introduction. And welcome everyone to Women in the Energy Transition, which is a webinar series produced by the Australian American Chamber of Commerce in Texas. As Amy said, the AACC is a nonprofit organization and our mission is to connect the US and Australia through business culture and education. And I'm Christina Stave, board president of the AACC. So this webinar is produced as part of our Aussie Women in Leadership series of programming. And our virtual Aussie programming is the AACC's platform for sharing digital content that brings together innovators from the US and Australia. And so this webinar is the second in the series that are focused on women leaders and the energy transition. So today I am so pleased to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Lauren Riley. Lauren is the Managing Director, Global Environmental Affairs and Sustainability at United Airlines. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Christina. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we jump into our topic, um, I want to start with your story because you have such an exciting role. Who doesn't love air travel, right? And you're right at the intersection of the energy transition and such a critical transportation industry. So we have some detailed questions later about, about what you do. But first, um, can you share with us, how did you come to lead um, Global Environmental Affairs and Sustainability at United? And did you have particular roles or experiences that help, pre help prepare you for what you're doing today? Well, first, um, again, thank you for having me. I think it's really such an important conversation in particular at this point in time. Um, there is so much change going on in the whole landscape around sustainability, clean energy, uh, commitments both by uh, countries as well as corporations. So there's there's change almost every single day right now about this topic. And so you can never be quite on top of all of it. So it's, it's really great that we're engaging in the dialogue. So my, my journey to United is, is actually part and parcel to almost every other um, sustainability career path that I've heard about. Um, you know, I love this question because, you know, it's, it's there's no single path into sustainability. And that's really um, sort of the beauty of this whole industry is that because it's evolving so much, because it's continuing to change, to change and whether it's in innovation or in policy or in programs, um, you know, it, it's one of those industries, one of those career spaces that is very fluid. So, you know, the way I landed at United, I had no idea that I would be here at this moment in time. So I, you know, I love my job. I love aviation. I love United Airlines. But my uh, history, my experience to date is in consulting. So I spent 20 some odd years doing a variety of projects in the management consulting space, whether it was sustainability, if it was energy efficiency, I did some work in change management. I did some work in uh, business strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I will say in my current role at United Airlines, 
Every single one of those skills is absolutely relevant and important to progressing the conversation around sustainability and climate commitments. I mean, I, I often uh, characterize that my responsibility at United is really to facilitate a broader dialogue, to bring together whether it's the right business units within United or across the industry or um, across multiple market actors to say, what is it we're trying to solve for? What are the barriers that we need to address to overcome that? And how do we work together to get there? So it's not completely different than you know, a background in, in uh, consulting. Now, that being said, I know a lot of people in the space too that are highly technical and they grew up in um, the more uh, engineering route. And, and that is also sort of an avenue into sustainability. But um, what I hope folks take away is that there is no single path into uh, a profession like this. And, and that affords everyone the opportunity who has a passion. No, and I really appreciate you sharing that background because I've been consulting in energy efficiency and all that stuff too, and change management. And I can totally see how having those skills is like exactly what you need to be driving this bus right now. Oh, absolutely. You can't, you can't be someone who's set in their ways. You've got to be open to feedback. You've got to be making decisions quickly. So I think I think you've got a great a great career that's that's led you up to this point. Um, but moving on from that, in terms of your background, I, I want to get right into the topics about about um, carbon mitigation. And so, I think you'll agree. You know, there's growing momentum around the importance of of meeting the one and a half degree C uh, goal in the Paris Agreement, and the urgency around that, as you as you said a minute ago, has led to many countries and companies, you know, making pledges to meet net zero emissions by by 2050. And I think um, as, as of last month, I think it was one fifth of the world's companies and three fifths of the world's countries. That's a lot. And so I'd love to get your view on, you know, this trend in net zero pledges and, you know, how do you think big picture, how are all these pledges going to be met? Well, you know, I, I'm an, an enthusiastic supporter of making these pledges because those pledges mean then that there's accountability. So you declare that you're committing to go net zero and you have an obligation then to follow through. Um, so, you know, I, I know there's a lot of concern out there around um, the timeline. There's concern about greenwashing. There's concern about pathways and solutions to actually enable it. But uh, everything great starts with something small. And so, you know, being able to vocalize and assert to a goal like that is really, really important. And I hope those numbers that you just shared with us, Christina, are tenfold over this time next year because we need everyone on board if we're really going to move to a clean energy economy by 2050 and hit our Paris Agreement uh, goals. So there's a lot of uh, momentum and acceleration that we need to see across the board in every single market and every single country for us to achieve those goals. And it does start with setting objectives so that you are then measured against those. Uh, and I welcome that. I think it's really important, but you know, foundational to that is being authentic in the way that you do achieve those goals and providing the transparency around your progression, around the performance of your business, your industry to achieve those goals. So that will be equally as important so that this isn't all just discounted as greenwashing, which we often do here. No, absolutely. And I, I think you're absolutely right. As more and more of these pledges are made and roadmaps are drawn, there's going to have to be more transparency, right? It's not just going to be a pledge. There's have to, going to have to be something material and scientific behind it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but I wanted to focus on the fact that United has made um, its own pledge, pledging to be 100% green by reducing its GHG emissions by 100% by 2050. And in 2018, you guys had already pledged to reduce your emissions by 50%, and you were the first US airline to do so. 
So it seems like United's been thinking about this for a while, and I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yes, you're absolutely right. So in December, United pledged to 100% green, which is effectively our net zero commitment. But our pledge is, is different and unique from any other airline in the world in that we are pledging to do it without relying on carbon offsets. Mm -hmm. And what's really important about this strategy, this 100% green approach, is that when we were having a discussion around making this commitment and going further than our first climate goal, I recall sitting in the conference room with um, our CEO and having a discussion around what does it mean to be a leader when you're combating climate change? What does it mean to, to take material action? And uh, very quickly, um, our CEO, Scott Kirby said, well, if we're gonna do this, we're really going to remove the emissions, the GHGs from our supply chain, from our operations. It's not simply good enough for us to cut a check, purchase some carbon offsets and feel good about ourselves. We actually haven't modified our operations. We have not modified our behavior. So that became a differentiator for us, but um, it was less about the marketing spin. I love the 100% green, but it was really about, are we defining our North Star well, with sincerity? And, um, and so I'm real pleased that that's where we netted out and United is committed to doing that. It's gonna be a very challenging uh, road ahead of us. There's no silver bullet in aviation. I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty this afternoon, um, but it, it presents a really great challenge for us to think about, okay, with our limited resources, particularly now emerging from the pandemic, how do we use them wisely? How do we use them strategically to scale those solutions that we believe are gonna permanently decarbonize aviation? And so that's United's commitment in our climate goal. Yeah, and, and building on that, and you and I talked about this before, um, you know, the strategic decision to not buy offsets, but instead to invest in technologies because, because you wanted to drive change. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more as well? Sure. So, you know, there has been a lot of momentum about carbon offsets um, in decades past. And uh, there is enough support of those programs right now that when we were thinking about our climate goal, it just doesn't require our support as well for those programs to be successful where they work. Mm -hmm. um, so rather, we are taking the path of really looking internal so that we stop emitting in the first place, rather than you know, continuing status quo, continuing the emissions from our operations, and then simply offsetting them outside of our supply chain, outside of our operations, that's not good enough for us. So we're really looking at those true solutions whether it's, it's fuel or technology or other that can allow us to reduce the emissions in the first place so they're never there at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for aviation, let's dig into the possible pathways uh, for net zero. Um, because as we know, there's gonna be many different pathways to meet climate goals, depending on your industry, your geography, et cetera. And certainly aviation is, is a hard to evade industry because you burn jet fuel, right? To fly mm -hmm. the planes. and so pretty challenging to reduce your, your carbon footprint. And I know we're gonna talk about um, different pathways individually, but broadly, can you talk about what's out there for the aviation industry in terms of the possible decarbonization pathways? So I like to describe it, Christina, as an all things on the table strategy at this point in time. <laughs> you know, the, the truth of the matter is we don't have a single solution. I mean, if you look at the ground vehicle, um, market, for example, there is an alternative. You can switch to electric vehicles and um, that is proven it will scale, they're efficient, um, that solution exists. When you look at aircraft and our propulsion technology, there is no alternative today that really can replace 
um, the technology and, and the fuel that we require to power those engines on our jets. So we don't have that silver bullet. We don't have that single solution. So we are looking at a multitude of solutions that will help us decarbonize. And I'm sure we'll go into more detail about each and every one of those. But today, you know, you'll see across the aviation industry, everyone is trying a little bit of everything. And quite frankly, I do think that's the right approach right now of sort of a diversified approach to decarbonization because it's a, it's a very nascent space in terms of technology development and maturity. And we're gonna need a lot of R&D and a lot of investment um, whether it's within the industry or in partnership with government to really prove out the next generation of solutions. No, thank you for that perspective. And let me just quickly remind the audience, please, if you have questions for Lauren, we're so lucky to have her, don't be shy, put them in the chat box so that we can get started on those after we finish um, the plan discussion. <clears throat> so let's talk about one decarbonization pathway that you guys have invested in, which is, which is direct air capture which I think the audience should know by now, but if not, it's physically removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And the promise of this particular carbon capture technology is exciting because of its potential to impact climate change. If it was suddenly much more cost-effective, it's still pretty expensive <laughs> to implement right now. So I'd love to know why United has chosen to invest in um, direct air capture. So we, we do have three pillars of our approach to decarbonization. Um, the first one is about reducing the emissions, which we spoke about just a few minutes ago, and that largely is through focusing on, on the fuel use. The second one, though, is really about removing emissions, and this, this comes directly to carbon capture and sequestration technologies. Um, the truth of the matter is, you know, the aircraft that we purchased today, it lives in the air for 30 years. So we fly it, hopefully daily, uh, barring a pandemic, um, you know, every single day for 30 years. And um, which means that the aircraft we're purchasing today will be in the air in 30 years time and they will be burning fossil fuel. So when you think about an industry that's going to be relying on, on fossil fuels, hopefully to a far lesser degree over time as technologies emerge that replace it, um, we need to think about how do we do that in the most responsible manner. And so carbon capture and sequestration direct air capture specifically, is one of those technologies that allows us to capture those emissions that are still in the, in the atmosphere, whether it's from operations this year or decades past, that we do need to remove for us to achieve our Paris Agreement targets. Um, direct air capture is a really interesting one. You know, United invested in this company called 1.5, um, and it is a direct air capture um, a company that will have the very first U.S. direct air capture plant in the Permian Basin in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully it'll be operational in 2024-2025, and it's in partnership with um, Occidental Petroleum. And the whole idea here is that we capture CO2 from the atmosphere, um, it, it ultimately becomes gasified, pumped underground, and in particular with this 1.5 investment, it will be used to um, support an enhanced oil recovery process. So the CO2 is pumped underground where it is stored permanently, and then, um, and then that initiates, that pressurizes the, the enhanced oil recovery process to pull out hopefully a, a carbon negative crude. And so that's a way that we can think about how do you manage use of fossil fuel based fuels for our aircraft, which we know we're going to have to do in a responsible manner while removing the emissions in the atmosphere. And that was really, really important to us. Uh, and then finally, just to round out that thought, the third pillar, which I'm also sure we'll talk about, is around um, innovating for the future. So what are those next generation solutions? Where are we going next? 
above and beyond the fuel and the carbon capture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, so I think that the nameplate capture capacity is about, was a million tons of CO2 per year, mm -hmm. right? And I think you guys have said that's equivalent to doing the work of, of 40 million trees, but in a land area, 3,000 times smaller. That's so, absolutely correct. So talk yeah. about order of magnitude impact, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Um, so, so it sounds great, right? But um, can you share some of the challenges with scaling up a technology like DAC more broadly? Yeah, well, like I said, it is nascent. It is completely unproven at scale. So there is a demonstration site. This, this particular plant uses carbon engineering technology um, and they have a demonstration site in Canada. This will be the first one of commercial size in the United States that does marry up with enhanced oil recovery. So it's never been done before this way. Um, now, that being said, it has a, a lot of promise, um, although the economics are a little challenging now, and, and that's um, part and parcel to it being fairly brand new. So, you know, as we realize efficiencies, as we learn from operating the plants, um, you know, I do believe that the cost of sequestering the carbon will go down over time, as would with any technology that's brand new. Um, and, and we look forward to that, but we absolutely want to be a part of that journey because I just, I don't see any pathway forward where carbon capture and sequestration is not part of the solution set that we're looking at worldwide. Yeah, we're in full agreement on that one, for sure. I thought we would be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, but what you, everything you said is obviously very true. Learning by doing, um, that's, that's demonstrated in, even in the more industrial carbon capture and storage space, we've seen those costs fall. Um, over the past 10 years, especially, and are predicted to fall further in the future. So I, I'm Excellent. hopeful as well that that's going to be something we'll be able to count on with, with DAC. Um, but moving on from carbon capture, um, I wanted to talk about um, sustainable aviation fuels, because that's another um, big potential uh, emissions, emissions mitigation pathway for you guys. And I know you've been trying, you've been using uh, sustainable aviation fuels or SAP since 2016, right? You've been working on those to lower mm -hmm. your emissions. And so I'd love to hear, you know, how you've been using SAP and, and why don't you just use it to power your whole fleet if it's such a great um, option for you? <laughs> oh, we would love to, we would love to. Yeah, so United has been supporting sustainable aviation fuel for well over a decade now. Um, and what's, what's really important about sustainable aviation fuel is there's a couple of things. Number one, um, it, it replaces the conventional fuel on our aircraft today, and it emits up to 80% less carbon. So from a life cycle analysis in terms of reducing emissions, it has an immediate impact to pull down carbon emissions from flying aircraft by 80% with potential to go to net negative. So that is really, really exciting. The second point is that it is available today. So it's one of those solutions when you think about a hard to abate industry like aviation that is um, available to us right now. It can be used on the planes that we fly in the sky today and it can be used in the fueling infrastructure equally as important at our airports. Um, so, so it's a proven solution. We have been flying it every single day out of Los Angeles since 2016. And today we have about 50% um, of all purchase commitments for sustainable aviation fuel globally. So we've been a leader in this space um, for a very long time. In fact, we have the largest investment in a sustainable aviation fuel producer, Fulcrum Bioenergy, which is um, a producer currently based in Nevada that takes municipal solid waste, so literally the trash out of your trash can, and converts it into jet fuel. Um, which is really exciting if you think about, um, you know, the feedstock being waste 
diverting that from the landfill, avoiding the methane emissions in addition to the CO2 benefit, and actually putting that on our jets. So um, they will be up and operational this year, which is really exciting. Uh, and we look forward to um, putting that fuel on our jets. But to your point, Christina, there is not enough of it. Um, you know, today, United has the largest supply of sustainable aviation fuel. And I will tell you that it's far less than 1% of the total fuel that we consume in any given year. And I'm talking pre-pandemic. Um, and, and the reason that that is so is because there, there is not enough supply. Um, there are two producers that currently uh, produce sustainable aviation fuel. One of them is our longtime partner, World Energy out of uh, Los Angeles. The other one is Neste. And they just came online last year. So mm -hmm. in terms of ability of this fuel, it doesn't exist. Um, the, the other barrier, which is really quite challenging, is that um, it costs two to four times the cost of conventional fuel. So if you think about you know, an airline today coming out of the pandemic, saying thank you to the US government for, for providing us loans to get us through the last couple of months, um, and then turning around and, and suggesting to our CFO that we buy fuel that's twice the cost, but um, not twice the amount. That doesn't fly right now. So uh, despite the fact that it's better for the planet, despite the fact that we know we need to move in that direction, there are some serious hurdles to adopting sustainable aviation fuel over conventional jet fuel. Yeah, no, thank you for that perspective. And I, I wanna come back to the cost part in a second, because I think that follows on into a next question. But um, you know, the, the whole concept of waste to energy, especially when you're taking something like municipal waste and, and being able to make fuel out of it, that, that's very exciting. But I would assume that that comes with specific logistical scaling challenges of having to have a lot of those small facilities and, and transporting it into the aviation infrastructure. Are you seeing any progress in that direction, even despite, um, you know, the challenges with, with the cost of the product and the lower demand from the aviation fuel side? We are, we are. I mean, so the fuels that we've used so far have been derived from waste oils using, um, using a HEFA pro process, which is okay. what I'm gonna call generation one technology. Um, we are seeing a lot of development around alternative feedstocks as well as alternative technologies. So municipal solid waste is perhaps generation two. Um, woody biomass, um, you know, somewhere in the future, I imagine we'll look at CO2 as one of the feedstocks that are considered for um, a fuel source. That's all really important and we're seeing evolution and efficiency yielded on the feedstock side. The technology itself is also evolving and that's really important um, so that we can find those economies of scale, we can find those efficiencies in our operations so that we can continue to produce more. But you're correct, there are some hurdles today in um, actually getting the fuel into the infrastructure at the airports. We truck the fuel from Los Angeles, from the, um, the facility in which it's produced to the, the fueling um, location at the airport every single day, which is absurd. So you're trying to support a sustainable aviation fuel to reduce emissions, but yet you put it on a truck. So there is some opportunity for us to really look at piping uh, that fuel into the airports directly. And I imagine that that is the direction in which um, the, the sustainable aviation fuel industry will be moving. No, wonderful. Um, <clears throat> well, going back to the cost um, and, and the supply and demand, I mean, part of growing the supply of SAP is, is creating more demand for it, right? Um, which should incentivize more SAP production. And United has customers that value lower carbon options for mm -hmm. air travel. And you've been able to bring this value forward through an innovative new alliance with these customers. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. And, you know, I will say our corporate customers, our cargo customers, 
they have been our number one partners in this whole journey. I mean, they are very forward leaning, really interested in creative ways to uh, um, realize their own carbon reduction goals. So many of our customers, you know, they've been on a journey where they too have committed to net zero or some version thereof, and they've worked through their scope one and two emissions, and now they're looking at their scope three, which for many of them, a large portion of that is their business travel, or it was before the pandemic. So, um, so we've been in conversations for with several of them for some time now to say, well, how do we creatively um, reduce the emissions from your travel in a way that meaningfully supports the industry moving in the direction of sustainable travel? So yes, you could purchase carbon offsets and yes, those are more cost-effective. There's no um, disputing that, but it doesn't actually advance the industry in a direction that allows long-term permanent change. So that's where this um, EcoSkies Alliance was born. We launched it last month. We hope to have several more cycles of it where we had about 14 corporate and uh, cargo customers come forward. And um, what they did is they actually helped um, in partnership with United fund the green premium associated with 3.4 million gallons of sustainable aviation fuel, mm -hmm. which is enough to fly 220 million passenger miles. So a really significant impact. I will also say it's probably three times more fuel that we purchase through this alliance than we typically do in any other given year. So a big surge in terms of sending a demand signal that we're looking for these alternative fuels. And through, so underneath the, um, under the, the leadership of these, these corporate and cargo partners, such as um, Siemens, HP, we had Nike, a couple of others in there that um, really said, how, how can we partner together to drive change? So that was a really exciting um, opportunity called the EcoSkies Alliance launched last month um, that was really important in signaling that it's time for us to take real action in supporting alternative fuels that are low carbon. Yeah, no, that's very exciting. And I know when we talked previously before this was announced, you had even mentioned how you were seeing a lot of your customers, you know, really starting to footprint the impact of their air travel and looking for ways to, to mitigate that in terms of their air travel supply chain. So really exciting to hear about this um, Echo Skies Alliance program. And I hope, I hope it grows and more people join in. But I want to get to the last um, decarbonization pathway that I know we're going to talk about today. And that is, um, electric aircraft, which I'm still trying to get my head around. But you recently announced a partnership with a company that aims to produce um, aircraft that utilize electric motors. And you feel like this is going to be something that's going to help for, for, I believe, short haul trips. So I'd love to hear more about your, your, um, your partnership there in, in that space. That's right. So we announced a partnership with Archer Aviation. And, and this is an interesting one when you think about innovating for the future. Um, Archer is effectively an electric powered um, vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. Mm -hmm. So think um, aircraft meets helicopter. <laughs> and it's intended to really uh, be used in an urban environment. So uh, it, it's going to supplement the urban taxi. So think of your Uber or your Lyft service. If you're downtown and you're trying to get to the airport, you want to bypass all of that traffic you can get on a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle or aircraft and uh, port over to the airport. Now they are intended for short distance, so 150 miles. Um, they are only four seaters right now and they're powered by lithium ion batteries. So that it does use conventional um, electric battery um, technology today, which is exciting, which means, you know, if we can do it with four seater, can we do it with more? Mm -hmm. We'll see. Um, but that's a really exciting one because we actually measured out 
if you were to take an Uber X from Hollywood to Los Angeles airport versus one of these um, Archer Aviation aircraft, you would actually reduce your emissions almost 50% by flying on the eVTOL than you would by taking car. So that's a really exciting prospect um, in terms of providing our customers an enhanced service while doing it responsibly and sustainably. So we're really excited about that. But you know, electric is tough, I will say, because right now the battery technology, it's heavy. And mm -hmm. um, you know, for us to use it on our, our jumbo jets and our large aircraft, um, it will be almost heavier than the aircraft itself. So um, it's one of those solutions that is very promising for short distance think regional commuter um, distances if you're flying DC to New York City, for example. Um, I do see a really promising application of that technology for, for those types of applications. No, thank you for sharing that. And I think with all of those, um, those carbon mitigation pathways that we've touched on, you know, you, you're definitely taking an all the above approach and certainly a step change in any one of those technologies can make a huge difference in helping you um, to reduce your footprint. But I, I want to shift away from technology for the last part of our discussion, because as we know, um, that's only part of the story about what's needed. Um, I wanted to touch on public education and acceptance for all these potential technology pathways we've discussed. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what can be done to help the public understand why it's important to include things like carbon capture and SAP and, and electric aircraft. In, in our box of tools, I guess, for decarbonization pathways to help drive public acceptance for these alternate technologies? Well, that's a great question, Christina. You know, and I'll, I'll suggest two observations um, before I answer your question. One, uh, customers today are far more sophisticated about climate change than they've ever been before, um, which is wonderful for folks like you and me and others that are really trying to make it more relevant. It's almost becoming organically more relevant on its own because everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, the second observation I'll make is that in the context of travel, you know, aside from, well, actually, maybe I'll even throw business travel in there. Folks are becoming more intentional with their travel. So, um, you know, do I need to take that flight? Is it easier virtual? Can, is there an alternative um, way for us to participate with me actually having to travel to get there? Um, now, it kind of breaks my heart as somebody in aviation to say that, but it is true. People are stopping to think, you know, about the, the, the choice to get on the aircraft. Um, so those two um, shifts in, in sort of consumer behavior and awareness are really informing a different kind of discussion with customers. You know, I, about a year ago, I would have suggested that the any, any thought of bringing up sustainable aviation fuel or, or fuel in general as it relates to flying a plane would be thought of as boring and, and, you know, not interesting by our customers. And I think the ties are starting to turn because it's in the context of this broader commitment to the U.S. rejoining the Paris Agreement, some of the concerns about, you know, the Arctic shelf melting and, you know, um, am I contributing to that? Um, so I, I would suggest that there, there's still a lot of um, demand for education, um, I, but I would also suggest that the awareness is way higher today than it was before. But the education piece on why it's important within um, the aviation industry to take these kinds of steps forward and how it impacts the individual flyer, that still needs to happen for sure. Yeah, no, and that is an interesting perspective. Um, I certainly agree with you 100% that, you know, in the last year, priorities have shifted and there certainly is a lot more awareness among the average person about how the everyday actions that they're taking, you know, impact our, our broader world. And 
What we need to do though is get policymakers to understand, right? So policy is the remaining critical enabler of progress that we haven't discussed yet. And I noted that in late February, 2021, the CEOs of all the top airlines, including United, um, met with the White House to talk about the aviation industry and how it was responding to climate change. And so I'd love for you to share a big picture, like what are the important policy priorities uh, that you feel could en enable decarbonization of the aviation industry? And you are absolutely correct. I mean, today um, I would suggest we're, we're almost at a tipping point where, you know, for years now, industry itself, in particular within aviation, we've been pushing the boulder up the mountain independent of um, uh, an engagement from our government officials. And, um, and now we're finding that there's this desire to really want to move towards a clean energy economy um, which affords us conversations that could be really meaningful in terms of scaling some of these solutions that have had a hard time getting on their feet. Mm -hmm. So you're 100% correct in saying that um, today policy is, is paramount to success in any of these areas. In particular for aviation, you know, there's, there's almost three areas we look at. Um, number one, sustainable aviation fuel. So we have been advocating um, with two other industry groups, um, A4A, which is our trade association, as well as um, a SAF producer called LanzaJet for a blender's tax credit specific to sustainable aviation fuel. Um, this tax credit will help reduce the green premium that is associated with purchasing sustainable aviation fuel compared to conventional jet fuel. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like it's an area in which there's bipartisan support it's really not politicized. It's really about um, finding a solution that is available today that really just needs a little bit of policy incentive to um, catalyze a, a move toward this alternative fuel. Um, and, and who knows, I'm, I'm very hopeful that that comes through because that will be a big deal for sustainable flying. So that is one area in which we are laser focused. Um, secondly, uh, uh, direct air capture and carbon capture at large. So continuing to support um, like 45Q and other policy incentives that allow us to continue to look at scaling some of these direct air capture technologies that are just so early on that they really need support and incentives to make, to continue forward. Um, and then third, you know, the area that we've been really pushing into is around engaging our passengers in the discussion around policy. And this is a really exciting um, evolution for United in the last couple of weeks, quite frankly, where we've actually gone out to our leisure customers. So those folks that um, travel once or twice a year for, uh, for the fun of it to see the world. And we said, hey, is this important to you too? Is it important that the um, aviation industry transitions to uh, sustainable flying with lower emissions and benefit to the planet. And if so, please reach out to your elected officials, so members of Congress and governors, uh, and make your voice heard. So we provided a mechanism where you literally just put your zip code in. We have a template that says, I care about this as a constituent in your jurisdiction. Please support climate policies that are meaningful for aviation. Um, and in two days, we had 2,000 emails sent to members of Congress and governors saying, we care. So bringing that voice to the equation at a localized level for something that is somewhat intangible for most folks, you know, aviation, it's global, it's not within a state or even in a, a single community, um, bringing those voices at that level to the right uh, decision makers it's been really, really um, amazing to watch the interest from our customers to say, you know, I want, I want to talk about this too, because this is important to me. 
Yeah, and I, I'm so glad you touched on that because that was going to be my next question was to talk about that innovative um, advocacy component that you that you added to your EcoSkies Alliance program. So thank, thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to make sure we have a chance to get to a couple questions that we have. So I have just a few more questions for you. And, and before, you know, we've talked all about the urgency to act for the benefit of the climate and all the challenges around these decarbonization pathways. But one piece of good news is there's a massive amount of capital, right? Looking for investments in the energy transition space. And, I, and I, especially for companies that are looking for options to decarbonize their supply chains. And so that got me thinking about partnerships in general. And so I just wanted to ask you, you know, what do you see as other types of, of partnerships that are emerging since now we've, we've got so much more awareness and interest in, in decarbonizing our future? Well, there, there is no doubt that our corporate and cargo customers, as well as our leisure customers, have been a very, very active group within the discussion around decarbonizing. There is no doubt that policymakers and government officials have been a very active partnership in that. But what's most interesting to me, and, and I will say what kind of gets a, uh, a head shake or a head scratch or however you want to describe it from other members across United is when our investor community steps forward mm -hmm. and they say, hey, United, what are you doing to mitigate climate change? Well, how, how do your actions and your operations impact um, you know, the, the rising temperature across the planet? And what are you doing about it? Um, and that has increased an infinite amount. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to sort of watch and participate in some of these discussions. And I would say it's afforded us a really great opportunity, not just to um, educate the investor community about how hard aviation is and how committed we are to seeing it decarbonize, but then also to bring them on board as a partner to help champion the kind of change that we need. And um, I'm really thrilled to see that happening. Now, there's no doubt that you know the, the role of the financial communities is continuing to influence climate discussions at large. I mean, we've all been watching how the SEC is considering embedding environmental, social, and governance metrics as part of their disclosure requirements, which will be really interesting to see how that imp impacts um, corporate strategies around decarbonization. Um, United, we're, we're, we say bring that on. I mean, we, we are really proud of what we've been doing. We're going to continue to do um, what we know the aviation industry at large needs to be done, even if, even if we're the first one um, out ahead, you know, pioneering these investments that, you know, might be a little bit expensive and, and difficult to really prove out. We have to try. So that's really where we are right now in terms of looking at the next generation of solutions and putting our money where our mouths are. Um, and that's been a really exciting debate over the last 12 months or so with the investor community with capital markets. And I expect it to really kind of explode over the next couple of months. And who the heck knows what we'll be talking about this time next year when it comes to those partners. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, no worries. That's great perspective. And, I, and I'm also super excited about the fact that the money's coming to the table to help move this energy transition forward. It, it just makes things a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this has been an amazing discussion. And I want to make sure I leave time for Q&A. And I won't ask a question about this, but I wanted to mention that last fall, United was named by the Carbon Disclosure Project as the only airline um, globally uh, to its 2020 A-list for your actions to cut emissions, mitigate climate risks, and help to develop a low carbon economy. So thank you for that. And um, let's let's go ahead and open it up to questions from the audience. I know we've had a couple of questions about the potential for using hydrogen to fly planes. Mm -hmm. um, do you wanna provide some comment on your thoughts about that, the potential for that happening? No, I, I agree. I think it's one of those promising technologies that um, may have a better application for sort of the shorter haul, smaller aircraft in the near term. But over time, as we move to um, 
uh, more sources of renewable power as, uh, you know, um, what our, our grid and our transmission lines that sort of connect to um, and our power supply comes from renewables, I think green hydrogen can actually prove to be very promising. Um, that is leaps and bounds down the road. I mean, we're talking maybe two decades in terms of commercial scale there, but uh, highly promising and, and we do hope that that works. Yeah, thank you for that comment. Um, the other question that we got a couple of is, you know, we all know how COVID's impacted air travel from the demand side, so we don't need to to ha rehash that. But um, I'd love to know what did what did COVID really do to the sustainability efforts inside your organization, and and did it help them? Did it hurt them? Did you have to change the way you approach things? So you know, it's been interesting because. Um, the aviation industry has not had a disruption this extreme in, in its history. I mean, you can argue 9-11 was um, shocking, but it didn't, it didn't stop the industry for a year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, it caused us, it afforded us almost an opportunity to have a discussion about what do we want to be when we return to travel? What does it mean to return to travel responsibly? Um, now, of course, that probably started in the context of uh, public health discussion around providing um, safe and sanitary travel opportunities for our customers, but it very, very quickly encompassed uh, our contributions to climate change and impact on the environment and the communities in which we fly. So in, in the context of sustainability, it almost accelerated a commitment to really want to change and do what is right for flying sustainably um, that might not have otherwise happened on this timeline. I do think I do think it would have happened. I just don't know that it would have happened as quickly. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, you can see study after study during the lockdown times um, uh, when communities could not uh, leave their homes during early times of pandemic. And you can look at the air quality uh, reports in in um, the different provinces that were. Um, being monitored. And it's remarkable just how clean the air got almost immediately when you shut down all economic activity. Now, we don't want that to happen. We want economic activity responsibly and sustainably. So that's what we're moving toward. Um, but really, it helped us accelerate our commitment to doing what's right and being thoughtful and intentional in how we use our limited resources to drive the change that we know the industry needs. No, that's great perspective. And um, one last question um, before we wrap up. And you know, you you put out so many great things that United is working on right now, and the different things you're investing in. I'd love to know what what should we look out for? I mean, what's next for United in the space that you can share? Are there any milestones this year or next year that that you're working hard towards right now? Well, we are constantly working hard towards figuring out <laughs> what is the next solution. Um, you know, we have a lot of work to do in every single one of those pathways that we talked about, whether it's sustainable aviation fuel and the next generation of that technology. Um, certainly direct air capture has a lot of uh, potential, but um, it's, it's too costly and it's not scalable at this point in time. So there's a ton of work to do in that space. And we'll continue to invest in the next generation of, of innovation, whether it's electric hydrogen, or, or next. Um, so I think you're going to be seeing more and more announcements from United around strategic partners and investments that we'll be making in those areas that we believe are promising because our whole point here is to make permanent change so that we can fly sustainably. Wow, thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for sharing um, your insights today and taking the time to go through all of this with us. We sincerely appreciate the opportunity to have you as a speaker. 
And um, just in terms of wrapping up, I'd also, of course, like to thank United Airlines for being a platinum sponsor of our chamber. And this is the second webinar in our current series on women in energy transition. And we've got one more great one in the series that'll be coming up next month. So we hope you will join us for that as well. If you enjoyed this webinar, please go to our website, www.aacctexas.org for information about our previous webinars um, that we have. We've got recordings of them that you can go back and listen to. And so Lauren, thank you again so much for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries. And on behalf of the AACC, we would like to thank everyone for attending today. And please uh, join us again for our next webinar. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. We would like to thank our generous sponsors for their support, BHP, United Airlines, the Australian Consulate General Houston, JLL, Macquarie, Platypus Brewing, Plug Power, the South Australian Department of Trade and Investment, Worley, Boomerang's Pies, Chevron, the Fervid Group, Reistad Energy, Speedex, and UHD Maryland Davies College of Business. Without their support, our programs would not be possible.